This cigarette gives all the advantages of extra length and much more. The great taste of 21 vintage tobaccos grown mild, aged mild, and blended mild. No wonder they satisfy so completely. Hello and welcome to Podcast Maximus. I am Tom McNally and with me here is Stuart Webb. Hello, Tom McNally. Oh, I thank you very much, Stuart Webb. And also, Marion Hilditch. Hey there, Tom. Hello. Uh, we're here today to talk about the Lost Light issue 13, Sardines. But first, we have some sad news to deal with. We're going to process that live in front of you. The IDW continuity is coming to an end. It is going to be eaten by Unicron. Um, and Optimus Prime, Lost Light... And the Unicron limited series are all going to end. They're all limited series in the end uh, in September. Then what are we going to do with ourselves? Stuart. Um, I'm, I'm glad that's the sad news you were going to talk about and not any of the other bits of sad news I've got here on my list. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have all day. Uh, well, assuming the world makes it to September. <laughs> Sorry. I'm choking up already. It's... It's a sad, sad day. Uh, I think, as is typical with IDW over the last few years, the announcement was handled very oddly at a uh, was it a toy fair or a comic con? Where's it was one or the other, and it wasn't even an announcement. It was a Q and A with podcasters at the end, where somebody asked the question, and one of the Hasbro guys said, "Oh, that that IW continued is coming to an end. Unicorn's gonna eat them all." And then that was put online, and then everybody was like, "What?" Yeah, I remember uh, listening to it, and the uh, obviously I think it was a toy more toy-based podcasts. That's why I've had the Hasbro guy on there. So the person doing the interview wasn't really interested in that bit of news at all. So he was like, yeah, but can you tell us about the toys? And we don't, what, what's going to happen? Is there going to be a black repaint of Optimus Prime at any point? So that's what we're really interested in. So it sort of, it got fumbled there with just a sort of half-second throwaway remark that set us all uh, with, with Ray's eyebrows. They put the cat amongst the pigeons, that's for sure. So when did we get an actual... Um, acknowledgement. It was quite a bit later on, wasn't it? Uh, I think that was at the next Comic Con event sort of thing, wasn't it? Uh, was it Wonder, Wonder World? Wonder Wizard? Wonder Con. Uh, uh, they had a panel, didn't they, where they said, uh, are we going to end everything? But it's totally organic and totally our choice and there's no... Well, it's going to end totally the way we want it to end. The creative artistic decision on the behalf of about a dozen people. You know, I think James has been very insistent that Lost Light is, is going to end the way you always intended, but uh, God bless him. I, I was trying to think of an instance where any creator has had to say, this is the end. This is almost exactly the end I was always planning, where it actually felt like that. Because uh, there's a sort of, uh, uh, I suppose Babylon Five is the most famous one after that whole weird situation with the fifth season. But we go, no, this is it's not that different to what I was I was planning five years ago. I mean, yes, it's, you can tell it wasn't really what he was planning at all. And uh, a few other uh, notable except examples over the years. I mean, it doesn't matter as long as it still reads well, whether it is or not. But I'll be impressed if I read it. I mean, yeah, but this is 
what, what he was thinking. <laughs> uh, Marion, do you smell a rat? I, I I don't think I don't think I care to go into the conspiracy <laughs> theories. I think I think we've reached the point. For me, in a way, the continuity sort of ended last summer. Um, when, well, even before then, when it was announced that they were doing the whole revamp. Mm. Was it last summer? Was it two summers ago now? I think it was last summer. When, yeah, 13 issues of Lost Light, issue 13 is what we're talking about right now. So I think it would have been the summer before when it was announced, but more than Mitsuya came to an end about um, roughly now a year and a half ago, something like that. Mm. Um, so for me it hasn't really been the same since so it's almost like we've come to a it was like a soft ending back then to kind of get get me used to the idea because uh, then we had all the crossovers obviously the X read then Transformers then Optimus Prime book never really felt like the same book as what it started out as uh, we kind of had Lola one, which felt a little bit more like the original uh, Robots in Disguise, but not really. But in any case, it hasn't really felt for me like uh, what uh, IDW set off to do with the death of, of Optimus Prime for some time. And with the loss of Alex Milne on the Modern Mystery Eye slash Lost Light, that book has also felt like a very different book. And that's not to say that I want it to be over, uh, but I have kind of felt like the continuity did come to an end some time ago. So given that I haven't been enjoying any of the other books aside from Lost Light and Tilara One to an extent, I'm not really sad to see it go right now. So, and I think fair dues, I mean, it has run for quite some time. Um, and I think a lot more could have been done with it. So I'm not saying that it ran out of steam or ideas, but it hasn't felt like a lot has been done with it. It felt a bit like we kind of reverted to action and kind of chip thrills some time ago. Uh, and although there was a lot of potential uh, with a lot of the storylines, I don't think that we're really being taken advantage of. Um, and in that sense, I think Ferdus, let's close it down. Uh, but I'm saying this very cautiously because obviously we don't know what's coming next. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, I get the feeling that what comes next is probably going to be quite conservative mm. um, in its in in what it um, what it wants to shoot for and what it aims to get. Um, for my own part, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really see the. Um, yeah, I didn't really see the, the the reboot and the relaunch as being an end so much. I was quite um, I was quite sincerely interested in in how they retooled things, and um, I even quite liked all the crossovers and things. I was quite quite dutiful in keeping up with that. Um, oh, bless you! Ah, oh, someone's got to. <laughs> so yeah, it, uh, in retrospect, now it does feel that like. Yeah, it did end there, and now we've got this kind of little sort of appendix. Um, so, yeah, I suppose we're going to have 25 issues of Lost Light in Optimus Prime, um, which is which is a good whack. Uh, yeah, it is very sad, but then I suppose, uh, you know, there are signs of wear around the edges, there's signs of 
of some sort of conflict between the uh, the principals. There's signs that, uh, yeah, maybe maybe everybody should put the, the toys down and maybe uh, go on to other things, and maybe that would be best for us all. So, yeah, if if they can if they can do this in any way that is graceful, I think I will be pleased. Are you, uh, I suppose uh, what's just come out today is that they previously been announced the, the schedule for the end, uh, sort of uh, like uh, two issues a month, so everything ends every September. Yeah, but that already seems to have gone a bit skiffy that uh, schedule because there's like three issues out next week, or two issues of Optimus Prime and an issue of Lost Light that James Roberts wasn't expecting uh, to be out next week. So I, I don't know what's happening with uh, after they've done very carefully announced how it's going to happen, the fact that it's already going a bit off kilter the release schedule. We are uh, IDW editorial. Odd. We are going to this time. This time. For real, we're going to keep to uh, the same release schedule that we said we'd do before. Oh no, it's immediately gone wrong. Yeah, um, the nice thing about uh, two issues a month is that they've uh, had to draft in everybody to uh, to draw Lost Light, so we're getting EJ Sue back. Yay! Woo-hoo. All excited about. And, uh, Who posted yesterday that he's just finished his issue? It's nineteen, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what they're going to do with Optimus Prime. I assume they're having a similar thing there where everybody's having to to, to pitch in. Uh, but I haven't seen any similar announcements about who the art team's going to be on their final issues. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, so it's going to be a nice celebration of the art of the era, even though I suspect if any, uh, most of the artists will be carrying on, even if the writers are. Uh, I think... Uh, uh, at least Jack Lawrence has already said he's still going to be around after the... Uh, the shift, hasn't he? There was some sort of tweet that he applied that recently. I'll be surprised if Alex Mill isn't still uh, working for it because he's been such a part of the, the fabric of IDW as well for so long now. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I've got, I mean, uh, on the one hand, it's lovely that these talented artists are still working. Um, it, it's good that they're getting they're drawing the paycheck. paycheck. But uh, yeah, it kind of goes contra to an idea of a, of a reboot and fresh continuity. Um, but you know, I guess uh, yeah, people have got to come first. I, mean, I, I would reasonably expect John Barber will still be knocking about. Well, <laughs> I'd be amazed if he's not all the smear by here, whatever it comes next. That'd be so weird. He just won't be able to. He just won't be able to help himself, really. You can't keep two. Everything's all the same world to him. You can't keep. Two, you can't keep two different worlds in his head. They're the same world. All, it's all. You know, James, I could see. I mean, you know, I've, I've done my stint, and it's time to go out on a high mm. but uh, well, I suppose we'll see maybe we'll be all new talent and uh, people who like to write uh, toys I mean I don't know the extent to which for every individual paychecks will inform these decisions uh, I would certainly not want to see anybody out of a job uh, but I think what we learned from two years ago and the whole more than meets the Alex Mill thing is that nothing seems to be certain, even when people think it is certain. Um, so right now I'm kind of waiting to see uh, what's going to happen. Given that we've had no announcements about what the next plans are, even in terms of a writer, usually you get something, you know, because it's a big event. You get you bring somebody in who's a big name 
even if it is to do, what was it with um, Dark Cybertron? Was it layouts where they brought that layouts. guy? Yeah. So you usually get a name, you know, just like for the relaunch or something. And we haven't had anything of the sort. So it's all a bit of a, a big unknown, isn't it? Yeah, I think they want to uh, make sure that you're like, oh, what's going to happen at the end of Unicorn? Will it kill everybody? Or will they walk off happily to the sunset arm in arm? Siggy, bring me sunshine. It's, uh, they, they want to keep it very... Uh, the last time Hasbro insisted they wrap up a continuity with a Marvel one, uh, where they did with Generation 1, Hasbro said, we only want one continuity, and so kill the Marvel Universe. Kill it with fire at the end. So ho hopefully that person isn't at Hasbro anymore. Oh wow! I didn't know that was a that was a Hasbro no, edict. I, I suspect Furman probably would have done that anyway because we all know what he's like. But yeah, it was a Hasbro edict. For, uh, one of the conditions of New Generation One was they had to destroy the Marvel universe at the end of it, so it can never be used again. Oh man, these people. Um, uh, we do have one hint of what's going to come later. Something that was announced a little while back and then kind of no one's really spoken about since. There's a, a Bumblebee uh, original graphic novel, which was going to be from Chris, written by Chris Sims, but he, he's since been fired. Mm. Um, but it's odd that, that in the press release they had Michael Kelly, head of publishing at Hasbro, talking about it rather than anyone on the creative team or anyone at IDW. <laughs> um uh, but yeah, they specifically talk about a new generation of fans, um, and uh, uh, yeah, I think I think there's they, um, I think there's some kind of implication there that this is maybe not the start of a new continuity, but at least a, a sort of indicator of of their what they want their audience to be. Yeah, yeah I, I assume Bumblebee thing is uh, mainly to do with a film where they're just doing something that's a one-off and can picked up by kids who enjoy the movie without any other baggage uh, yeah that would be a great idea of course we've always had the movie comics alongside the main IW continuity we've, in fact we've had many other continuities uh, run alongside the main IW continuity so it may well be that this is a standalone thing and I mean I think they would be insane frankly if they disregarded the number of uh, generation one sort of readers uh, just to target uh, the new kind of generation of Transformers fans because comics are not a TV series, they're not movies. That's the beauty of them. You can have various things happening. I mean, production-wise, it's not the same kind of cost as you want, you know, your latest TV series to be aimed at a certain um, demographic or your movies to be aimed at a certain demographic. Like, I completely get how you might want to target that. But in terms of the comic books, you can have many things happening at the same time and attract many different kinds of people. So it would be very short-sighted if they were just targeting uh, the same demographic as they are trying to do with everything else. I think that they are actually doing movie comics again as well. Uh, I think... Uh... So, which would be for those fans too, so that they don't have to make the new continuity. Uh, it's a strange time to be doing movie comics again when it's all winding down and Paramount uh, seem a bit embarrassed by the Bumblebee film. Uh, but uh, maybe that's why they're letting the RDW do it again. They don't care anymore. <laughs> and so it's, it's not. It's John Barber and Andrew Griffith who did the last lot of movie comics like seven years ago, and. <sighs> I love the films, uh, personally. Yes, don't stone me, but uh, I've 
always found IDW's movie comics to be absolutely terrible. So that's not exciting. What, what do you think of Sector 7? Awful. <laughs> what, really? How about Death of Starscream? Sorry, Raid of Starscream, in fact. Oh, the, the official Transformers, Transformers movie sequel that starred Generation 1 Starscream cosplayed as a character from the 2007 film. God, that's uh, harsh. That, right. I, I, I still it's quite like that. It's like the character. I mean, they changed the character in the actual sequel, but ignored the official IDW sequel anyway. So, but he's, the character in that comic isn't the character from the first film. It's just Can the we... same. Can can I just interject here to say that the character from the first film doesn't have a character? Oh, we, we have to do another movie podcast at this point so I can discuss <laughs> uh, the evolution and changes. It's either, he's like a bit of a bruiser. He gets my favourite scene in that first film where he's attacking the, uh, the other F-22s and just bouncing off them and he's... It plays the idea that he's a bit of a traitor. He's actually, he might be the only star screen, but he's actually pretty a loyal, light handed guy to, to make a clone in that film. The any Raid of Star Scream, it's Chris Latter. And ooh, and it's just, it could have been so easily just been a. It, it annoys me how they just, uh, like they did with the Beast Wars comics, uh, where it's like, here's an iteration of the Transformers that's a bit different. Uh, let's make it as much like all the other Transformers comics we did as we possibly can. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's my, my hot take of a 10-year-old film comics. Wow, wow, scalded. <laughs> uh, I think it's fact they tend to be liked by people who don't like the films as well, which seems to me maybe the wrong people to be aiming at. Well, maybe doing a film time comic or something, maybe aiming at the people who like the movies. I, I think that's unfair because a lot of the people who don't like the movies right now did quite like the first movie. And they watched the first movie, got really excited about it, myself included, uh, bought The Reign of Starscream, really liked that book, with, you know, the understanding that it's probably not going to really tie into the next movie. You know, I think we, we would all be very naive to think that Michael Bay, it would take you know a random comic book into account in writing his next film um and i think quite a lot of people at that point were very positive and enthusiastic about the future of the movies until the next one came out uh, and i think a lot of people dropped off at that point um so i think you can read a lot into the first film and i guess that depends perhaps on how you received the second and third and fourth and so on uh so I think the first one kind of left it open to different kinds of fans liking it. Uh, and then okay. it, it kind of went down a route which certain people just didn't like um, and other people liked because that's what they had liked about the first one. Um, I, but I think there was a definite um, change between the first and the rest. And uh, I've seen a lot of people say that they thought the first film was perfectly fine, if not good. Um, and it was a very good and positive start, but uh, they couldn't get behind the rest of them. And that's pretty much where I stand. Okay. Well, well we've we've drifted off there. But let's steer things um, towards IDW um, and Lost Light issue 13. Indeed. Should we talk about sardines then? Let's talk about some sardines. Now, Stuart, tell me, what is what does sardines mean to you? 
Uh, well, it's uh, obviously, Tom, it's the, uh, the parlour game that I suspect is only played by two people. Uh, people in 1920 set murder mysteries. And uh, James Roberts. I can imagine James Roberts having played sardines at some point. I can imagine getting the whole of Guernsey into a good, rousing game of sardines. <laughs> and don't forget Inside Number Nine. Which which was set in a mansion house, even though it wasn't... You, you need a mansion house to, uh, to, uh, to, to play it. <laughs> yeah, it definitely followed the trope, didn't it? Um, so, can you explain how the parlour game sardines goes? Uh, it's reverse hide-and-seek, where uh, everybody goes to look for a person who's hidden and then they hide with them and uh, all sorts of crazy things can happen when you'll squeeze up against people in a tight space that's the thrill of it and uh, it's sort of a slightly naughty game posh people play okay ah. <laughs> maybe that's a, uh, a subtitle to Lost Light um, so Marion what happens in Lost Light, Issue 13, Sardines. So, the most important thing that happens in Issue 13, Sardines, is that Alex Milne is back. Woo! A reign of Sarscream artists, he's back. <laughs> he's come a long way, hasn't he? Um, it's a very odd issue to have Alex back for. Uh, I don't know how this was picked, if it was just a timing kind of convenience when he had the time to do one or not. Uh, because, you know, you'd normally associate Alex with a more action-y, I think. If you're going to get him in for something, it'll be the more grand, epic scale kind of issues. Um, so that, that was bizarre. But uh, other than that, it was so good to have him back. Uh, it's like, oh, there they are, all these characters. I've missed them. Uh, I don't know. I, I really do associate the characters with the art style. Um, so for me, it was like, oh, it's more than meets the eye back again. For the last time as well, because I don't think he's eased down for any more issues. As far, as far as we know, yeah, as far as we know, this is the last issue he, the one and only issue of Lost Light Daleks uh, is going to do. So Sardines, a lot of people were a bit disappointed with this issue, I think. The more I read it, the more impressed i am with it because it does haha <laughs> pack in a lot into a tight space ah um so we start off on necroworld where we have fort max and red alert uh crashing in on some decepticons and killing them all randomly <laughs> for no apparent reason it, it, <laughs> it's a massacre what the hell is going on I saw this in the preview and it really bummed me out. <laughs> I, I, was, I didn't realise how invested I was in the idea. All these guys have been kind of rescued and they've now got this whole new lease on life. And yeah, having like sympathetic characters like Red Alert and Fortune Maximus just, yeah, just massacre them. Uh, I mean, they, they, like, destroy, <laughs> they destroy the Necrobot's last body of work of saving all these people by killing them. Oh, and then yeah. Red Alert takes the piss out of the Necrobot. Oh, I've got his cloak. Look at me. Yeah, screw you, Necrobot. All those guys you save, they're dead. Jog on. But I love the implication also that he's um, bust in on... Uh, who's the... the, who's the Decepticon, um, the Gun Con. Sorry? No. Uh, um, the names. Uh, they bust in on Rapid Fire, who's also dressed as the Necrobot, and then kill him, and then <laughs> steals his clothes. 
Oh well, I had it spotted he was wearing the cloak. Why is he still on the cloak? Is, is it like a, a very good question. It's a it's obvious, it's obvious maybe he was paying West. tribute to the Necrobot. It's a very bizarre, very bizarre few pages. Um, but it did make me laugh in at least a couple of places, particularly as um, Max is um, making references to picking up any Cybertronian tech so nobody can find it. So he's really in um, the appointed enforcer of the Tyrus Accord mode there. Uh, still doing the job that Rodimus gave him to make him happy uh, some years back. <laughs> to really, you know, bring him away from his violence. Yeah, give him a purpose in life. Uh, do you think they killed all the Autobots who were there as well? Or did something happen to them God knows. beforehand? God, like, literally, what the hell is going on in this issue? It's like Jake Roberts accidentally wrote a 21-page issue, and he was like, oh, I'll just rip out the first page and explains it. Um, the one thing we do know is that Kaput, at the very least, looks very dead in this issue. So I don't think uh, Dear Kaput is coming back. Uh, and then we have... Um, they try to rescue Telgave, and then there is some kind of reveal. And then we don't know what's happened. And then we cut to the crew inside Skip, uh, who seem to all be uh, very sort of tight in there, uh, out of space, trying to get on. And all kinds of things are happening. So you guys, we've talked about this, you know I have a theory as to what's actually going on in this issue. Uh, but before we can get to my theory, um, what did you think of the issue overall? Uh, I really, really... You say, you say that uh, Alex Milne was a, a poor fit for this kind of issue, but I think the layouts and structure of it were, yeah, were incredible. Top of his game. Mm. It's that sort of thing where, yeah, I guess you, you kind of... You give him something like Rom versus the Transformers... Um, uh, to, to have that grand um, feel for things, but yeah, if you put him, if you kind of put him in, in something which is a bit contrary to what he normally does, uh, that doesn't mean he struggles. Uh, you know, back in Reign of Starscream days, Alex had a bit of trouble making things look cramped when they weren't supposed to be, and here he's really able to make things look cramped in a way that uh, actually makes you quite anxious. There's something quite paranoid. Um, to almost every panel, except some of the panels with Rodimus, where he's off in, in the other room. Everybody's just kind of rubbing up against each other um, in a way that really complements the feel and the mood of the of the script. Uh, for me, it, uh, it sort of, again, reminded me of how James Roberts really wants to on TV because uh, it's a low-budget episode to save money for the end-of-season finale. Uh, when he doesn't need to do that in comics. And it reminded me of uh, the issue of Morgan BTI in the Rod Pod. Uh, I, mean, I actually looked up the issue number of earlier, but I forgot it again already. But yeah, uh, where they're all 30? vanishing. Uh, yeah, it's 30 or 31, I think, uh, before Slaughterhouse, mm. where, where they're vanishing one by one, and there's tensions between the crew. And it's a variation on the same sort of thing, maybe with more extreme, strange things happening in this issue. It's almost like a, uh, a sequel to uh, to that stylistically, uh, and I thought it was a, a very good variation of the theme. There's a a lot of uh, good fun character work in here. It's nice that sort of the stuff that's happening starts off quite silly, like Swerve having a bomb in his head, and uh, then it gets progressively uh, darker. 
Uh, I think uh, Marion mentioned people didn't seem to like this issue initially, and I, I, I think a lot of people misread uh, the Tailgate stuff. Uh, it makes him quite annoyed by that. We're like, oh, I can't believe they've, they've actually killed Tailgate properly off screen. Like, line and sink. What happened? <laughs> uh, but all of that stuff uh, from, uh, like I said, Swerve, the Ultra Magnus to Cyclonus scene, but I swear Marion will have something to say about it. Drift uh, and Ratchet, uh, but I swear Marion will have something to say about it as well. And. Uh, Rodimus being increasingly pissed off with everything. <laughs> so, yes, it was a, a very nicely done character study with its surrealistic, uh, curious events happening within it. Hmm. Uh, that's, a, that's a very good uh, call, Stuart. I think it's 20 plus 1. I think that's the name yes, of that yes. issue uh, that you're comparing it to. And that's a really good call. That is a good contrast to make. And, uh, yeah, I take your point, absolutely, uh, Tom, about Alex being a good fit, because especially compared to 20 plus 1, uh, that issue had, it, it, it was lacking in art. It was too simplistic, despite the fact that the story was, like, you could feel that there could be more going on there with the art than there was actually on the page. Uh, so, yeah, good points both. Um, at this point where we're reviewing this, the follow-up to this issue has come out, but we will not make any reference to what we already know is happening next. So it's not to spoil it for people who haven't gotten that far yet, who are listening to the podcast uh, in order of how they're reading things. Uh, so we're going to completely ignore what we already know about what comes next at this point. Um, so my theory about what's happening in this book, and you guys expanded on this very nicely when we were talking about it, was that none of it is real. Uh, I mean, they sort of are where they are, but the things that they're experiencing aren't real. And it has something to do with uh, big fears that all of them have, or big anxieties or worries or concerns sort of coming to life. And um, I wasn't quite sure why, and I think it was you, Stuart, who said uh, something about it being a, like a test to get them into cyber utopia. Is that right? Yes. So, uh, what it reminded me of, and I, I don't know if anyone's ever made this comparison between the writer the James Roberts uh, and this show before, but it reminded me of an episode of Red Dwarf. Oh, interesting. Uh, I've never the, heard the, of this show. The final episode of season six, <laughs> where they fly into unreality bubbles that uh, make them hallucinate things uh, but are surreal and also uh, reflect their worst fears. I think the, sort of a, the big one of the episode is uh, they fly to one and a console explodes and Lister is injured and then they find out Lister was really a robot all along and Crichton is very, very, dis- hey, I'm a robot, you robot. He's, he's a left. It's a model of robot, isn't a, it? A worse robot. Yeah, and, uh, crummy robot. Uh, they make him uh, make the tea and wash for dirty underwear and uh, bring chocolate fingers. And then they fly out of a bubble and, he, oh, he's actually human. And all of that was a trick. And then they have their heads turned into animals and the spaceship disappears around them at one point. It's, and then they find out it's all put up. It's a field but around uh, this amazing thing to protect it and stop people uh getting to it and uh, I, don't, I don't know if James has ever seen Red Dwarf it's a, it's a bit of a mystery <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there might be another subtle Red Dwarf gag in here somewhere as well I'll, I'll mention it in a minute uh, but uh, it feels like it's that sort of thing they are approaching something uh, that is making them uh, 
feel like they're vanishing, that they're being breasted and shrinking, that their boyfriend has been killed. Uh, mm. And the big clue there with Tailgate is what they tell Cyclonus has happened to Tailgate doesn't really match up with what uh, what was going to happen to him in the whole. If he died, I think it's like he's made a same spark burnt out, uh, don't they? Which sounds like he hasn't heard uh, what really happened. Uh, so yeah, that, that's basically. Uh, I think I think it's a, a red dwarf. Uh, a red dwarf thing. Speaking of red dwarf, there's an almost direct quote uh, from the episode White Hole in here, where Holly's IQ is uh, in crinks, oh, yeah. and, uh, but, but at the cost of her life expectancy, because Holly is a woman at that point. Uh, and the talky toaster uh, goes, so what's your new life expectancy? And it's uh, something like. 365 comes up and he goes, oh, 365 years, that's not too bad. And she goes, no, they've left out the decimal place. It's 3.65 years, 3.65 minutes, uh, which is almost vertebram in here when it's uh, a countdown. To, to... I'm badly misquoted that because I'm not James Roberts. I don't know it all word for word. But <laughs> uh, so there may, may be some influences for Red Dwarf. In yeah, situation. they go back to that well a lot in Red Dwarf. I'm kind of reminded of Better Than Life when Rimmer... Uh, Rimmer's subconscious starts destroying the simulation and making everything terrible. He's like they're buried in the in the sand with jam on their <laughs> jam on their faces. And then I guess a whole uh, like uh, terraform where there's a whole moon based on Rimmer's subconsciousness. Yeah, we de- I think we're we're in that sort of territory. It seems that Rodimus and Cyclonus and Roller and Chrome Dome, to say the least, are definitely being shown the one thing they don't want to happen. Yeah, so should we go through all the things that are going on? Because I have a list. Yes, let's hear the list. Um, But before we do that, there is one thing uh, that I forgot to mention uh, from back in Necroworld. And that is that um, the the Necrobot's cape is referred to as Threadbare. Uh, we've mm. been trying to work out what on earth Threadbare space is for ages now, and that very much seems to imply that that's what that reference is to, uh, because we find out that the cape is actually a real-life map of space. And uh, at that point, Red Alert makes reference to the benzene cluster, which we have heard before, and says, but it doesn't quite match, and that is definitely going to come back at some point um, in a future issue. Oh, wait a minute. There's bits missing from the benzene cluster. Mm-hmm. Has something been eating it? Oh. Oh. The black, the black, bo- black block consortia are there and they're having a big fight with the Galactic Council, I think? Yes, they saw the What could be stirring them up? I don't know. Wonder everyone wants that cloak. <laughs> <laughs> interesting points that we can maybe get to when we review the scavengers issues right but moving on from that skip uh, what's happening in sardines so there is a lot of interesting detail here if the theory is correct that uh, in fact what's going on is that everybody's having to deal with their anxieties on some level which you might say is something that might happen when you are in a locked space with lots of other people anyway uh, but perhaps to an exaggerated extent here. We start off with Arnold and Swerve's uh, rivalry. Uh, they appear to be trying to um, one-up each other in pranking. 
Uh, it starts off with a note being told that she's got a second head who happens to be male in her body. As we know, Anode is a trans woman. So that's a very interesting thing to be called, to be told as a trans woman in itself. Uh, and then we go on to uh, Swerve uh, being told that he can't talk because if he talks any longer, he's going to die. Uh, a thing that we know for a fact is probably Swerve's biggest fear right next to a massive combiner of Megatron, Tarn and Overlord <laughs> and who else. Uh, so, but there is also something else there which I thought was interesting uh, because Log says that at some point Arnold made her uh, paint herself as Swerve and pretend to be Swerve's biggest fan. And this could be me reading a lot into things, but there is a very tender scene between Arnold and Swerve further down in the issue. And this could be Alex Milne's embellishing, but Arnold sort of touches Swerve's face in a very tender way uh, when he speaks to save her. Uh, and she does say, you know, oh, you, you spoke to save me. That's that's so sweet. Um, and I think there is this kind of like, I may be reading too much into it, but there was this kind of implication that Anod might be fancying Swerve uh, and trying to make Lug look like him just kind of in a subconscious level. <laughs> I just thought the whole thing was just so wrong <laughs> in any case. Oh, that, that made me think of... Um, of, of uh... Uh, Cybertronian Homesick Blues when Swerve was Blur's biggest fan. Oh, yeah. And kind of why that might really touch a nerve with him. Yeah, that's a good point. There was definitely a lot more to it than just a throwaway comment there, for sure. Um, just before we move on, uh, you, you mentioned Spotlight Hoist, which yeah. I think is is another prequel to this, and maybe a clue. Uh -huh. e either it's either it's either recycled material or it's deliberate foreshadowing. Yeah, because that's another issue where worse fears were coming to life. And there's a technological uh, reason for that, mm. right? It's a it's a it's a galactic council. It's like a defense mechanism, isn't it? Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Okay. Mm. Okay. So the next set of things that we get is uh, Ratchet and Rift. Um, there's a lot here about couples, I think, and personal relationships, um, which are very powerful. And we have Ratchet's fear uh, of, uh, in my interpretation, of becoming irrelevant. He didn't want to lose uh, the ability to use his hands. He didn't want to give up the title of the chief medical officer. He, he was always afraid that other people would take over um, and that he would be useless. Uh, and of course, the fear of death. And um, we find that that's what, what's happening is that uh, um, Ratchet is slowly losing his color, which would imply he's dying, to the point that then he, start, he stops being corporeal so people can just walk straight through him. But I, despite this being a very obvious kind of fear that anybody would have, uh, I wondered if this worked both ways, if this may have been Drift's fear as well uh, of Ratchet dying. Um, and uh, particularly, there is this. Uh, somebody made a really nice joke about this online uh, when uh, Drift says, um, "Oh, the three words I've always wanted to hear you say." When uh, Ratchet says, "You were right," um, and somebody changed the "You were right" to "I love you," <laughs> which, yes, okay, I'm a fan girling here, but also it, it made a lot of sense the way that. Drift uh, responded to that in a very sarky way. Oh yeah, I've always wanted to hear you say those three words. 
So there is a bit of that, but um, attention is also drawn to Ratchet's hand um, in, in those panels at the beginning, um, which, again, could be linking to this, because uh, he's shown tinkering with them, or it could be foreshadowing uh, for uh, potentially Farmer showing up again soon. Oh, with Farmer's hands. Mm. Mm. There it, uh, yeah, something in the scavengers uh, two-parter about... Uh, old body parts being used to manipulate somebody, isn't there? <clears throat> um, there's also there's also something with um, uh, with Cyclonus. Or there's a couple of things going on with Cyclonus. Oh, uh, before that, Tom, I just want to point out it's on that first page with uh, Ratchet Adrift uh, with a roller panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a no smoking sign in the, the top left-hand corner. <laughs> so who knows who is smoking on the ship? Why would Skip have that on his insides? Well, we know from a recent debacle <laughs> played out on social media that Ultra Magnus is definitely, canonically, Hasbro approved, a real vapor. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that is hilarious. He's having his cigarettes out now, but he can't. <laughs> no smoking side who's had to take up vaping as well oh and remember they had those um, sticks last time they were in a jail cell on tyrists on luna one yeah wrong drop them yeah to rattle yeah. magnus well who knew skip was a, such a stickler for health and safety <laughs> he you know he looks after his body you know he's a he's a health freak nothing wrong with that <laughs> Doesn't want the DJD after him, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, so you skip to um, you skip to Cyclonus there. Magnus is is going through a thing, isn't he? Since he lost Megatron, Magnus is going through a thing. And what I found quite funny was Magnus's terms of peace and everything that was meant to be in it was such a parallel to peace through tyranny. <laughs> It was just like, I, I couldn't tell if he'd realised that that's what it was or not. It was like, we will enforce peace at all costs, no matter what it takes. <laughs> this is the guy. It'll just be better for everybody. <laughs> just just do the thing and it'll be fine. Um, and I, I, I don't know, you can read into that as well. Like, is Magnus becoming the worst possible version of, him, of himself even he can imagine in this sequence? Or what is going on with that? But then further down, he also has... Um, I mean, there's two things going on there. A is um, Cyclonus starts talking to him and starts opening up. And uh, Magnus finds himself in a position where he has to... Very gently, I thought. Very tactfully. And uh, very kindly tell Cyclonus that unfortunately he cannot respond um, to his attempt at closeness because he really sucks at this. Uh, so he's just going to go sit over there now. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of a bit from The Simpsons of when Bart is trying to impress um, uh, Meryl Streep, uh, the guest character played by Meryl Streep. But she, he does his best and she just says, mm. I'm going to go stand over there now <laughs> and just kind of move a very small distance away from him. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it struck me as that like an incredibly, yeah, the, the exact opposite of gentle to my eyes. Oh, did you think? I thought, I thought he was being, you know, there were many ways he could have responded to that that were worse than this, I thought. I suppose because there's nowhere for him to go, really. Literally, a lot of Tom says he literally can only move back. Unless he goes to sit in roller as well. Tired. 
Oh, but it's um, it's an excellent scene. I'm not sure that it's a scene that's in character for Cyclonus, though. But it is a. It's well. It may. It did make me ponder if this would be in character for Cyclonus. Like it really made me think. No, mm. well, we've never really had much scenes between Magnus and Cyclonus, have we? Well, there was that big one where Magnus was the one who welcomed him aboard at the end of season one, finally, where he gets some piece of hand out and shook it. Mm. So maybe they've talked more since then and we've just not seen it. That could have been the start of a, an and odd Ma- friendship. And Magnus stuck up for him when um, Drift was getting rough. Um, Magnus, since the end of the first season, has been on Cyclonus' side where he welcomed him to the crew. But I thought the point of the scene was that they are not close. It's just that Cyclonus found that Magnus was the closest to anyone else he could get on the ship. Uh, because mm. they have a kind of like similar, very structured, reserved personality. Um, and that's why he says, your role is my help. Um, get me out of this chaos and into a bit of a more sort of place where I know what I'm doing again. Yes, yeah. You know, Cyclonus has taken a big, he's, he's opened himself up. Yeah. Uh, with tailgate and kind of been punished for it and so that must feel very unjust but i just thought of something else the megatron parallels with magnus here uh also the last time we saw magnus in a similar situation but reversed was in the christmas special uh except it wasn't actually magnus it was just his armor when he approaches megatron and megatron thinks it is magnus trying to hug him and has to shut him down because he says i appreciate we have you know some kind of affinity but i just need you to know that i am not a hugger and i need you to step back <laughs> so if there's even and is this magnus's fear since when you know Megat- because it was the kind of thing that he was having issues with um that rodimus kind of shook him out of that he was starting to feel for megatron he was starting to sympathize a bit too much with him and right now we're seeing him almost draw from all the bits of megatron that perhaps he admired the structure and the discipline and the distance and the unemotionality I don't know. I I I definitely could see that. I uh, definitely could see a Megatron in that uh, role. So, so there is a mention that he's been working on on um, uh, the rules of what, what's his book? Terms of rules peace. of love. <laughs> Terms of peace. Um, for uh, not to yeah, be confused with towards things. Yeah. Oh yeah. Terms. Of, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, it's very on the nose, isn't it? It's, 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 there's a there's a line that he's been working on this for years, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. That's what he said. Um, yeah, yeah. It seems it seems to be if if this is a a worst fear scenario, it seems to be more Cyclonuses like finally making a pass at someone. And to say that it's out of character, mm. yeah. But I think it's something that he, he would he feels. I think it's something he wants to do more, mm. but feels that he shouldn't or can't. Mm. And it's being um, rejected that, again. Yeah, right away. Mm. In a in a way, yeah. I guess I saw as quite cruel. Um, and then, yeah, that it, it quite quickly incites into violence. Mm. But that's not the trigger, is it? No, no, but it definitely stirs up. Um, so then we have the scene of um, a roller in Rodimus's office, because as we've seen previously, Cromden and Rewind thought it was a good idea to crawl into Roller's backside. <laughs> 
and and have a bit of a quiet moment together. And Roller is really not impressed by this. Um, and uh, that certainly sounds like we could be a fear for somebody to have people, you know, unlawfully entering you, as he himself calls it. There's a, there's a lot of characters inside other characters in this issue. You had a node with a head oh God, at yeah. the start. You've got Chrome Rewind inside Roller's bum. And uh, they're all inside Skip. Uh, uh, possibly some of them must be in his bum as well. That's why the law of averages. That is a... is a very good point. So maybe all of this is reflections of Skip's own fears, which are being realised and then multiplied. <laughs> yeah, Skip. Well, yeah, I, mean, I guess it would be like a silver bolt situation. You've got a, 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 car- a, a spaceship who's afraid of having people inside of him. <laughs> the smoking. <laughs> the smoking. <laughs> Uh, but you know what else I remember, just as I was looking at this now, right before the podcast, that this is exactly what happens to Roller in Elegant Chaos. The crew turn up inside of him when they time travel. Uh-huh. Where we have the moment where he says, ouch, 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 my back hurts, my back hurts. And then everybody comes out of his trailer. So <laughs> this, is, this is clearly a thing that would leave you traumatized, I think. And I guess to, to yeah, to, to roll uh, that happened only a few days ago. Yeah, exactly. exactly. If, he, if he remembers it, because uh, did Chromedome's mind wipe pit him as well before he vanished? No, he ran out. I'm trying to think, because uh, that was the assumption. Oh, okay, so he remembers having Chromedome in his bum twice in a week. He's, he's off. <laughs> <laughs> no, because uh, he wasn't there, Roller. He'd already vanished. He, yes, he never yes, shook yes. hands with Cromdom. Um, so there's that. And then we have Rodimus's fear, which is his lost getaway. Mm-hmm. The signal's gone. And then we have a fear which could be Rodimus's, but it certainly is Cyclonus's, which is that they get a message from Necroworld from Fort Max saying that um, Delgate is dead. We don't actually yes. hear the message. We see um, Rodimus's reaction to the message, which isn't good. And he seems quite distraught by it. Um, and then, obviously, he tells Cyclonus, and Cyclonus's reaction is certainly not good. Uh, and then we have uh, the big violent outburst. This certainly counts as a big fear. And this is the thing that sort of alerted me to what might be going on, because I was not left with the impression that um, Telgate was dead. Uh, at the beginning of this issue. That was not the reaction that people were having when they got access to what was going on in the hole in the ground. Mm. Yeah, their eyes were bugging out. It was something they certainly did not expect. Yes. Uh, and not hearing the message as well. That's very clearly just because whatever he said mm. wasn't what well, that will give it away. It is a conceit that it happens to be Fort Max, they imagine calling them rather than anybody else, because that ties in with the start of the issue, so that's, that's a handy whoever's making them hallucinate is in on the joke, clearly. <laughs> it's uh, a, a fully reader. Uh, what, oh, what I actually find interesting, just looking at it now, is that when they hear Fort Maximus's voice, and uh, one of us goes skip, uh, he doesn't seem surprised that it might be skip, so it's a question mark, but it's not an exclamation mark there. He's, oh, skip, that yeah, could be skip. So, he waking up. There's a chance he might not have been dead. That's a reasonable thing. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. It's it's unclear if that's just a joke, or if that's a clue. Mm. 
Mm. Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, no, it's just going to go back to Cyclonus and the whole outburst thing um, because there's more details in there that are quite interesting, including the fact that Rewine gets nearly killed by a sword again. Mm. Um, so we have a Chromedom fear there. Also, we have Cyclonus uh, telling Chromedom, real love hurts, uh, knowing that Chromedom, before Rewind, made the habit out of wiping uh, all of his memories so that he would avoid the pain of love. Mm. Um, which is not something that Cyclonus would have necessarily known about. Yeah, it certainly hits a nerve in a way that everybody's kind of hitting each other's nerves. Yeah. Also, Chromedome is quite prepared to kill Ratchet to punch Cyclonus. Uh, it's only luck that Ratchet, Ratchet is insubstantial at that point. He was prepared to punch through Ratchet. <laughs> well, well, he wasn't going to kill him, but he was, yeah, he was in a rage. He was punching everything. Yeah, I don't think he was trying to punch hard enough to yeah. penetrate Ratchet's body. Um, I don't think we've seen Chromedome's even capable of something like that. Mm. But I think he was just surprised that Ratchet was in... I think he was just trying to get Ratchet out of the way, wasn't he? Yeah. And then ended up hitting Cyclonus. There's a lovely scene here with uh, Whirl and Cyclonus, uh, which is a parallel to their first hug on The Lost Light. They have a very different hugging moment here. Mm. Um, I don't know what Will's biggest fear is. I think Will has faced his biggest fears already and his anxieties. I think he's he's on the other side. I don't think he has any left. Yeah, I think it's telling that he doesn't really get that moment and he's the one acting most lucidly. Mm. There, there, there's a lot of characters here. I wonder if they're all having their own private little moments that we're not seeing in issue, like maybe Will is as well and Rung mm. and... Uh, uh, the, the other people aboard who've sort of issues that particularly focusing on maybe we're going to see the snapshots of uh, their experiences. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd go with that. I, I, I would. I can imagine we might get little references to them later on in dialogue. Uh, but yeah, I, I, but even just done in the in the tone of this issue, I think the fact that we don't see much of wrong is also quite interesting. Yeah, indeed. But. Overall, well, then we get the ending, which is um, actually there's even more to it because um, Swerve's prank, which is to get Anod stuck on Magnus, is again a fear of Magnus's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so too close to him. Interfering with his vessels. Hang on, just a, a thought just struck me there. Wrong mm -hmm. might be there, but nobody's listening to him. Mm. We do see him. And uh, somebody's talking to him, I think. Who was it that was talking to him? In the first panel, when we have the first panel of the everybody talking to each other. Uh, this, he's oh, certainly it's there. Nightbeat. No, Nightbeat's further down in the frame. I think it might be Swerve. No, yeah, maybe. I can't remember. Okay. Somebody's definitely showing him something on an iPad. He, okay. He's in frame. Hmm. Mm. What, could he be, what could he be looking at? He's a mini Close Starship orders. subscription, but uh, he's renewing it. So, <laughs> so uh, among all this, we've got the early warning system, or early, early warning system, um, mm. which uh, seems to be going off. We, thought we, well, we can't tell if it's actually going off or whether it's just being tested. It's doing the multiple voice thing, which I'm not sure what kind of joke it is. 
Like, it's just like, you only have Nautica's description for what it's doing in that it's doing it in different voices. It's just a whole, it's, it's a random, it's like the cheese slices I find in the Buffy episode, right? It's just this, <laughs> this random thing that's trying to tell you something, but you're not quite sure what it's telling you. <laughs> yeah, and again, is that, yeah, is that just a joke? Or is there something in what Pyro and Nautilator are saying? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. But, but Pyro's coming back, kind of a big twist. This was me all along. I was behind everything. Oh, it was, oh. it was good to get a reference. It was good to see Pyro's name. I, don't, I guess the implication there that that, that, that um, I guess if Nautica has heard of him, some sort of news of his exploits. Oh. I guess three wreckers has gotten out. He's been memorialised in some way. You've seen him on telly. There's been a recording of his voice played somewhere. And then we have ten. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I had some theories about this that have possibly been disproved by subsequent issues, so I have... I've got nothing about what might be really uh, going on here. At this point, so what did you two think of it? It's just too obscure to really draw any conclusions. <laughs> like, um, yeah, that felt very. Um, it felt like what's the strange? What's the strangest possible beat we can aim the strange issue with? Ho ho ho! I'll figure it out later. <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. I could be wrong. There may be maybe a good logic to it, but uh... I, I think it was you, Stuart, that said that if it was very much like the Grimlock moment. Yes, at the yes, end uh... of the early scavengers issues, where he says something like "much obliged," I think is the line that Grimlock uses, which is a bit of a "what the fuck." <laughs> um, yeah, it felt a little bit like that with Ten as well. I felt like somebody was speaking through him when I um, got to that panel. Hmm. Maybe he. Maybe maybe the next thing he said was prepare, confront, repel. Ah. Maybe we're gonna find drawings all around the inside of Skip. Oh. He was the one who put the no smoking sign up. <laughs> one of the symbols of a night of Cybertron. We're gonna prepare, confront, and repel smoking indoors. Duh. I mean, as we said, we've sort of read the follow-up issue, but I think it's fair to say uh, none of us are quite trusted of what that following-up issue told us happened here. So I think uh, yeah. we're, we're, we're a little cautious about what we think's going on. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to leave it to what my original impression was, and maybe we can talk later about whether we were right or wrong with regards to what's mm -hmm. going on in this issue. There is another line that I think is worth uh, drawing attention to. Uh, at the very beginning, uh, between Swerve and Lottie. Oh, is, or is it? No, it's not. It's between Swerve and Ratchet. Where Swerve says, when he finds out he has a bomb in his head, damn it, Doc, why must everything have consequences? Which cannot possibly be a completely throwaway line. Um, he is referring to Killmaster at that point and zapping him into another dimension because his theory is that Killmaster put the bomb in his brain because, of course, why wouldn't he think that? That's a logical conclusion. <laughs> um, but it, it was too much of a throwaway 
for it to not be important at this point. Hmm. Okay. So. All right. So I guess your master will be back with his wand. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess just the implication of that, if that's if that's relevant, is that what's happening here is directly in response to something that we've seen happen. Isn't this what was uh, how Brainstorm got them in and out of the um, Functionist universe? Didn't he use Killmaster's technology? Didn't he, he did, didn't yeah. Didn't he get told what you've done can't be right? Didn't we discuss the fact that that was also something that's going to come back to bite us because he was accused of tinkering with things? Yes, with the fabric of reality. Yeah, okay. Huh. I understand it. So, okay. Now, the problem is, problem is, it's all well and good to say everything has consequences, but when you're dealing with such sort of whimsical... <laughs> technology and i mean there's no rules to what killmaster can and can't do really i guess he makes things appear and disappear but it, you know they can be of any size any shape anywhere they can go to other universes or not or pocket universes so i don't know if we can hmm. I, I don't know if we can actually try and figure out what's going on I, I i don't think so i'm just putting you know just pulling different bits and pieces from different things. And again, just to throw something else in the mix here, uh, is that that's exactly the thing that uh, was meant to happen with the Magnificence. Uh, they're using it had consequences. Um, it's just, it, I don't know, it felt like it was too random a line. Yeah, I think you may be onto something there. I think we all expected a lot of things uh, to come back into play over, over the next... Uh, few months mm. so yes i think there will be lots of consequences yes okay so top three theories so, so give me each of us give you a top theory about what's going on here about what, what what's the cause of these events uh other than james having seen a bit too much red wolf in <laughs> <laughs> fiction cause uh i think they are approaching cybertopia and this is an offense mechanism around cybertopia Okay, that's that's pretty that's pretty solid, Marion. Uh, I'm going with this theory. Okay, taking Stuart's side, I'm going to try and <laughs> come up with something that's plausible, but not the most plausible um, one. Well, we we could bounce edit out. out edit out a bit where we've said we read the next issue, and then you just say what happens in the next issue as if it's a guess, and then you look like a genius. <laughs> no, I'm going to go with that. Um, this is. Uh, something Skip is doing from some sort of state of very reduced consciousness. I think that, that's a okay. that's something that could be going on. And then, yeah, I suppose the last one is that it's something related to Killmaster. I want to back up my theory by saying that because, um, of course, it would be a very random thing for them to have run into Cyber Utopia after searching for so long, just, you know, out of nowhere. So I'm backing up my theory by saying that um, they were following Getaway. And we know that Getaway has come upon something which on the face of mm. it is Cyber Utopia. And therefore, it is not unlikely that they have, by following him, come across the same thing. We also have a sort of situation on The Last Light where we also may be seeing people's worst fears realised, but we also have a very plausible reason for why that could be happening. Uh, yeah, that's true. I had, uh, there was that 
I was going to say they must have. Uh, it's quite funny that they didn't need to go through the, the Warren to catch up with Getaway, but there was that bit where our time jump uh, when they arrived at Cyber Utopia. So that maybe they've caught up a bit more of a time discontinuity than they thought, and that's how they've got there without having to use a magic wormhole. Mm, you mean the lost light? Yeah, yeah, the lost light lost some time, yeah. didn't it? So maybe. So, Hang on, no, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Scorpnark knows about the Warren. Sorry, that, that's jumping ahead. But and Skip was one of Scorpnark's team. Oh gosh. There you go. It's all okay. Building <laughs> together. Okay, readers, we're we're gonna leave this bit in because it's not really spoiling everything, even though it's from the first few pages of the next issue. Yeah. Oh, actually, if if there, if there is some sort of time disconnect through going through the Warren, but Miss Folly is reading too much into it, I wonder then if that will tie into the Necrobot's cloak having an old map of the Expanse on it. Uh, because I, uh, I think it was you saying, Tom, maybe saying it didn't match up with what it actually looks like now. The benzene cluster. No, the cluster, sorry, yeah. yes. That's... Uh, that's Ah, it's Eddie Bad but cluster. Always, I've sort of killed that idea by saying wrong name there. So no, were you thinking of the? Was it the Benzuli Expanse? The sound kind of similar. I, I, I mix up, I mix yeah. up the two names. Yes, it's a. Uh, that's a terrible note to end on. Me just <laughs> say the wrong name with a half-ass idea. It's it's all. Somebody say something better so we can go out on a high. Um, well, benzene cluster at least makes some kind of sense if that's the the aromatic carbon ring, a benzene ring. Uh, then you know those those are, are pretty common in uh, stellar death. But benzuli expanse just is just nonsense. <laughs> but they all sound very nice, like nice sounding yeah. names. Nice sounding B B something. Okay, so that was Lost Light. Issue 13, Sardines, by James Roberts and Alex Milne. And who's on colours? Joanna Lafuente, as always, Tom B. Long on letters. And was it, uh, we, we're, we're past Carlos Guzman era of edits, aren't we? How are we past it in this? This may well be. It's, a uh, Carlos Guzman is assisting with editing of this. He's, he's helping out, uh, but main editor is David Marioetti. Okay. Or Mariotti. Mariette. Mariette. Anyway, that is it. <laughs> well, those are all the thoughts that Podcast Maximus had on those things. Um, in the next exciting episode, we'll be talking about the Scavengers two-parter. But for now, I'm Tom McNally. And Stuart, who are you? I am also Tom McNally. Oh, God, what's going on here? This is my worst fear. Marion? Uh, I'm Marion, and whilst I'm here... Please visit Podcast Maximus on TF Archive, where you can listen to our older episodes. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Facebook as Podcast Maximus. You can find us on Twitter as Podcast Maximus. We welcome your feedback. Uh, we welcome your five-star reviews on iTunes. And uh, we hope that you will be here for our next episode. Mm. Yeah, we, uh, we've been getting some lovely feedback lately from listeners. Um, uh, yeah, join in the discussion. We love to chew the fat and to be told that uh, we're right or wrong or that we should have thought about this or that uh, they hadn't th- you hadn't thought about something until we told you to. 
I feel like we should go out with... Because uh, I've been watching the Twilight Zone on Blu-ray. I think we should go out with one of those Rod Serling advert cigarettes that he does at the end of some episodes where he's going, ah, I think you'll like these. They're much more <laughs> mild than your usual cigarettes. There's just a counter all the anti-smoking propaganda from Skip. <laughs> Winston's for a smoother, heartier smoke. Let me at them. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>